What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, I think we all know leadership is not easy. Leadership is hard. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to think you're for them. But can you imagine being in a profession where half of the people are mad at you all the time? They think you're against them. They think you're out to get them. Well, that is the story we're going to unpack today on episode 191 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast. As we sit down with former Major League umpire, Ted Barrett, and we talk about living out faith, respect, and keeping an eternal perspective, even in the middle of all the craziness of life. Well, I am so glad you have joined us today. I don't know how you got here. I don't know the story of what got you to this point, but I am absolutely thrilled that you took time to join in today. You know, we're all on a leadership journey, trying to be the leaders that that God created us to be in the spaces and places that he put us. I, I don't know what your space and place is. It may be in the business world. It may be in the academic world. It may be in the coaching world. It may be in the ministry world like I'm in. But I know this, today you're going to get the opportunity to get a little better. We did it in our last episode with Dan O'Dowd. My goodness, so rich, the conversation. You know, I think we're all in the middle of watching the playoffs right now, and you forget about the stories of the people in the front office and the people on the field. Well, Ted Barrett knew a lot about being on a field. He knew a lot about being on the field in the world's biggest games in the playoffs in the World Series. He became one of the most accomplished and most respected umpires in baseball, working five World Series, three World Baseball Classics, and two All-Star Games, and all the other playoffs that he was able to get. He has his master's degree, this is crazy, in biblical studies, and serves now as a chaplain for the umpires with unlimited potential and has a great ministry for umpires, you are going to be so blown away by the depth of this man. So I don't know where you're listening from today. I don't know how you found your way, but I know this. You're going to be glad that you did. So I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my conversation with former Major League umpire, Ted Barrett. Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Yeah, so much fun to be on. Thank you. Man, I have enjoyed I hate we didn't hit record earlier. I have enjoyed <laughs> right? I have I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation because I have watched your career from afar. MLB career that included officiating 33 postseason series, five World Series championships, two All-Star games, three World Baseball Classics, 34 total years in professional baseball. Did you ever dream that would be your story? 
Oh man, no, no way. Uh, you know, as a young kid, I never, my goal was not to be a major league umpire. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to play in the NFL. I was going to be heavyweight champion of the world, all of these things. But you know what? This is the great thing about walking with Jesus. It's just such a wild ride. You can't imagine what he has in store for you, uh, you know, looking back on it. And I worked my first game when I was 14 years old, just went with a buddy to do a little league game. And, you know, you, when you umpire, you either love it or you hate it. And I loved it, but I still wasn't, that's not what I wanted to do for a living. Um, and so, you know, it's just funny. I find myself at umpire school and then I find myself in the minor leagues and I had never dreamed I would make it to the big leagues. There's just not enough jobs. Uh, but then, you know, in 1994, I get the call that I'm, I'm doing a triple A game in Tucson. They said, we need you tomorrow in Arlington to do a Rangers game. And, uh, yeah. And then the journey just continued until, uh, you know, working my last game last year and walking off the field and just thanking God for the ride I had. Mm. You know, I've heard you a lot in other interviews and even some of the things I've read about you, your parents played a big role in who Ted Barrett became you are so and we'll dive into this a little bit in a few minutes you are so well respected and well known but that didn't just come by accident what role did your mom and dad and and your family play in developing the the foundation of who you became yeah you know my mom and dad uh, yeah they they um definitely raised me with values and uh you know we um made sure that, uh, you know, they always reminded me who I represented and represented them and our family. Um, and, you know, it was all about sports and uh, playing your hardest and doing your best and, and being a good teammate and all the things, you know, that uh, a parent should instill. And then, um, you know, being, being supportive. They were my biggest cheerleaders, no matter what I did. And, uh, you know, I just felt like, yeah, they, they really, um, they cared about what me and my brothers were doing and they poured into us. So yeah, that they, they, I wouldn't be where I am today without them. You know, you were so well known in your career for how you treated coaches and players. And, and I heard you say in an interview to get respect, you've got to give respect. And that was talked to you about your mom. How much did that play into how you handled yourself? I mean, you, we're going to get into your boxing career a little bit, but how well did that play into how you walked out onto a field, how you dealt with an argument? How, how did that play into that? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, players, I felt like uh, when you treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect back for the most part. But then also as I, as I got closer to Jesus, as I was walking mm -hmm. with him, I was, I was not always very good at handling situations. I was a hothead uh, as a youngster in the minor leagues. And, you know, we say in umpiring, you know, sometimes you pour gasoline on the fire. And I would do that. It didn't work very well. And, uh, you know, we were talking about Bruce Bochy earlier. He was the manager in, in uh, Spokane and rookie ball in, in an A-ball when we were in the Cal League. And he pulled me aside and said, man, you, you're going to get fired. You can't act like that. Um, and so, you know, I... I I knew that I just had to, um, as I pressed into Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, I need a new way to, to handle this. Mm. And I would bring him into the conversation. Right. And he would, you know, so it's all there in God's word about how to treat people, how to react in situations. And I'm like, man, let me try this. Cause what I'm doing ain't working. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, also 
having a little bit of empathy toward people, uh, what they're going through. Um, you know, I might, I used to get yelled at, but it wasn't so much about what was going on in the game. A lot of what was going on in their lives. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God started to reveal stuff to me. Like that's my child and he's going through some stuff and it's like, all right, now I'm able to have some, uh, be able to understand a little bit better mm. of what's going on. So, I mean, not to get too deep on it, but uh, it really helped me through situations. And then also I always liked to, to keep peace and keep order. Uh, I felt like as uh, being a representative of Jesus out there, it's what he does, right? He's, he takes chaos and turns it to order. So if I'm yelling and screaming and losing my temper, I'm not doing a very good job of keeping order and keeping peace. So I had to learn and, 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 it, and it worked, <laughs> you know, if I could remain calm, if I could, de-escalate the situation we can get it under control and then we could play baseball what were some of the daily disciplines you had to put into place because i think it's easy to think that in the off season and go okay i'm going to yeah. represent jesus this year and then the season starts and the grind of the season starts my son's wife is the field reporter for the rockies kelsey wingert and mm -hmm. i know the schedule she keeps and i know the travel schedule and the grind that players and and their support staff and umpires have how did you keep it out in front of you as you live this out how did you do that well a big thing for us as umpires is, is community mm. so we started a community of, of guys jesus followers we called it calling for christ and um so we would keep each other accountable because i can get really lazy and uh, but i know it's important to be in god's word being it every day so we'd have a reading plan and keep each other accountable. And then also uh, praying, just being, taking time away from the madness of the ballparks and the schedule and just to, just to sit and be alone and listen and pray and talk. That became very important. And, and you know, at first, it, it, like anything else, it's like working out. It's got to become a habit. But then once it became a habit, it was something that I really look forward to and, st and do today. Um, Whereas before, even reading the Bible was a little bit of a chore for me in the beginning. But then the more I did it, uh, and then I, I had taken some some classes and some seminary classes, and it started to, like, unlock for me. Mm. So then it's like it becomes a joy to get in there, and what are you going to teach me today, God? And um, But starting out, it can be tough because, you know, you go a few days, you're reading, uh, you know, Leviticus, and you're like, hey, you know, I'm not— <laughs> I'm not really enjoying this, <laughs> but then you start looking at the Bible as a whole and you're like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand what you're trying to tell me. That is so good. You, you, you had a phenomenal career as you were going through it and you walked out on that field every day. How did you let the coaches know who Ted Barrett was that you were more than the guy with the, the opposite, not the other team opposite uniform, but the the other opposite uniform that's on the field. How did you how did you begin to build that rapport with those coaches and with those players? Mm, you know, uh, it, early on, I would kind of try to tell people, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm a Christian," and but I I know in baseball, it's kind of like you gotta you gotta show me, mm. don't tell me. So it was the way I handled situations. It became very apparent to me that um, the way that I would react to something, the way that uh, I would handle a situation would speak volumes uh, 
if I did it Jesus way. So a big thing is, I'll give you a quick example. I went to umpire school and we were taught um, if someone does you wrong, say there's an ejection, um, and the next day the guy comes to apologize, you tell him, don't do it. Uh, you know, take your apology and stick it, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. It was the way it was because you were trying to get across to the player that I'm not going to allow you to do this. And that's what I did because I was taught that, but it didn't feel right. And so one day Jesus was just working on me and saying, you've got you've to forgive. You've got to have a forgiving heart. And so one day I had an ejection of a, a, a coach in Detroit, the bench coach, and I ejected him. And the worst type of apology is when a player you played, so you know this, someone else comes out and goes, hey, so-and-so uh, wants to tell you he's sorry. And then my response is always, well, tell so-and-so to have the courage to come out here and tell me himself, right? Yeah. But I just felt Jesus saying, forgive him, forgive him. Um, and I'm like, I don't want to. Uh, but then you start thinking, man, I've been forgiven so much. And you think about the parable of the, 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 the two debtors, and it's like, oh, man. And again, that's what the Bible does, right? You take it and you can apply it to your life. So even the tough ones like this, so I'd said, well, go back and tell him that he's forgiven. I've been forgiven for so much, so I want to forgive him. So, you know, I, I, I dropped that little nugget in there, and it's not, uh, you know, it, it's a Jesus moment with, without being so uh, open and direct. And the guy looked at me and goes, really? You want me to tell him that? I said, yeah. He went in and told him, came back out. And every time I saw that guy after that, for the next 15 years, he was smiling, he was gracious, he was saying hello. Um, I'll give you another incident that happened. Um, if you don't mind me telling stories. Oh, this is awesome. Are you kidding me? So Chris Singleton was playing for the White Sox uh, outfielder, uh, just a great ball player and, and a great man. And uh, as you know, playing baseball, a lot of times the language used is, you know, I, I liken it to the military, right? You've got yep. these cuss words or adjectives, pronouns, and, and uh, I could fall into that. And uh, I had a confrontation with a, with a coach one day and Chris Singleton was the base runner and he was coming out to the outfield and he said, Hey, uh, if you don't mind me saying, um, you know, remember who you represent and you need, you know, watch your language out here. He was saying it in a kind, you know, manner. I told him, well, you know what you need to do is mind your own business and go play center field <laughs> and let me umpire and let me handle situations the way I want. Because I thought at the time as a young man, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. I'm going to be a Christian, but there's things I do on the field that, you know, I, I have to get a pass here, God, you know, and God's like, no, you don't get a pass. So I'm laying in bed that night and I'm thinking, who's this Chris Singleton guy? How dare he judge me? He doesn't know me. Um, and, and then I just feel God just say, I sent him. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh man. And God's like, you, if you're going to follow me, you got to do it in every area of your life. You don't get a pass on the field. And I'm like, oh, man, I might have to quit. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, I, I, I seek Singleton out. And I'm like, hey, man, can I talk to you? He's like, no, I don't think I want to talk to you. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I want to apologize. He's like, oh, okay. I said, you know, uh, you're right. And I need to, so I'm like, but I don't know how to stop uh swearing and he's like why don't you ask jesus to help you with that and i'm like 
why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I prayed. I said, can, can, you know, God, can you help me with this? And, you know, I never swore on the field again. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think that was around 2003 or four. So, I mean, you're looking at 20 more years. I, um, I'm ashamed to say I've sworn off the field, but yep. I mean, on the field then it was, um, and that's something I couldn't just up and quit doing. Um, and, you know, so now I, I give grace to guys because there's, you sit in chapel or you, you're in a Bible study with a player and then he's using salty language. And instead of me getting all high and mighty, uh, I walk over to him and say, Hey man, you know, someone told me this once and I didn't like it. <laughs> But I want to tell you this too, that, you know, there's kids watching there. There's, there's so many cameras. Now people are lip reading. Remember who you represent, you know, and if you struggle with that, you know, maybe go to Jesus with that. And most of the time the guys receive that pretty well. Um, but again, that stuck in my mind and uh, God would always remind me of that when I started to get judgmental or high and mighty, he's like, that was you once. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, and, and you nailed something earlier, Ted. There's a little over 70 major league umpires. The chances of getting there are not big, right? And there are a lot of guys that are great umpires that never make it. Yeah. When you decided to be, and, and I've seen you use this in other in other interviews, and you've talked about this before, when you made the decision, I'm going to wear the uniform of an umpire, but I'm going to be a minister in disguise. How did that change the purpose that you showed up at the ballpark with every day? Well, yeah, it was, it was a game changer because I was caught up in everything like everybody else. You know, I wanted the choice assignments. Um, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a crew chief. Uh, I wanted a world series. You know, those were the things that I was chasing when the focus started becoming being a minister of the gospel, those things became secondary. Um, and I didn't stress so much over that. I didn't, I wasn't worried as much about the things that I was worried about before. Who's, who am I going to work with? That was always a big thing at the beginning of the year because, you know, baseball people know, but others might not that in major league baseball, there's a crew of four and we stay together the whole year. Now, sometimes there'll be vacations or breaks or, you know, some shuffling, but for the most part, you stay together the whole season where hockey and basketball, they'll interchange. They're not on a set crew. They'll, the linesman will maybe we'll go with different reps. And, but with us, we're together the whole year. So there would, there's always this anxiety. Who am I going to be with? Is it somebody that I like? Is it someone that I get along with? And once I decide, once I realized that this was a mission field, it took all the pressure off. Now God's going to bring, the crew that he wants me to be on for a reason. And I can't tell you how much like that just relieved anxiety from me. Um, and so it was a scary thing though. So I had some testimony cards made up. Here's a picture. I, players have done it. And a guy said, I could do that for you. And I just put a gospel message on the back with my picture. And I went to a union meeting and I handed out the card to everybody. And I came home. I told my wife, I just committed career suicide because <laughs> nobody wants to work with the Jesus dude. Right. <laughs> and so I get on a crew and it was great. And I saw a supervisor uh, during the season and he said, Hey, I just want you to know that you are the most requested umpire because crew chiefs make requests. Yep. And I was like, how does that happen? 
you know, um, and so, you know, I started to realize that God, he's got his hand in this. It's not just uh, we go out to work and he's not really concerned about that. And, you know, he's just sitting up there and he's too busy for everybody. Man, he's got his hands in the most intricate details of our professions, um, of our daily lives, of our interactions. Like he's there right in the middle of, you know, confrontation, which I had a lot of. And then resolution, man, he's right in the middle of it. I'm like, man, Jesus, you really are that big that you're right in the middle of this baseball game. And then I started to realize like, man, this is, uh, this is a mission field here. This this baseball field, this game can be like church. Mm. And we can be preaching the gospel to people with uh, just by them watching us. Uh, that, that, and what I love about that, that doesn't matter your profession, right? I mean, right. that it could be umpiring. It could be principal. It could be superintendent of schools. It could be CEO. It doesn't matter. When that transition happens, getting out of bed changes. Because yes. all of a sudden, you've got a different you got a different mentality that you walk in with. I think all of us are spectators, right? We, we all watch professional baseball. We love yeah. it. Depending on what city you're in. What's, what's something umpires feel and go through. You wish everybody who sat in the stands who watched on TV understood. What is something you go, God, if I could just sit down to that guy in section 304 that just threw his beer can or his popcorn up in the air over a call, what do you wish everybody knew about major league umpires as a whole? What would you say? Mike, I'm glad you asked that question because I don't think fans realize and they don't think about probably what the umpires go through just to get to a game. You know, they're getting up at four in the morning. They're fighting through the airports, just like every a lot of businessmen do every day, through security, getting on a plane, enduring delays, and, and then landing and getting a rental car, driving to the hotel, getting checked in, all while they have a game that night that they're about to go out and work the plate. It's exhausting. It's grueling. But then throw on top of that, they're trying to raise a family, uh, being on the road, they're 3,000 miles away. You know, they get a call. This has happened to me. Pipe burst. There was a flood in the kitchen, right? Luckily, I've got a wife that um, she's pretty self-reliant. She's like, I'll take care of it. Um, I'll handle it. But, you know, then that's in your mind as you walk on the field. Or um, you know, you've got children going through things. You've got adult children going through problems. Uh, you've got, you know, you've got parents that are now getting elderly and their health and they're sick. They're on their deathbeds. People pass away, right? And it's um, these are all things that you got to block out as you walk on the field and go out and be perfect. And sometimes that's hard to block out. Um, not only that, there's these. We have anxiety as we walk on the field. There's performance anxiety. There's uh, you know. So think about this. And police officers get this, and and other people get this. Where they they don't make people happy. Right. They're there. They're going to I'm going to make half the people mad uh, by a decision. Um, and then there's people who don't understand rules and they're yelling and screaming. So I, I wish people would realize there were that the, uh, these men and, and women in the minor leagues and hopefully one day we'll have one of the big leagues. But they are going through stuff 
in their lives and they're trying to block it out and do the best they can. That's not an excuse if they don't perform well. Um, but I'll give you an example. There's a high profile incident. It was the Yankees, you know, not to call it Aaron Boone because I like Aaron, but everybody saw the play with Laz Diaz. Uh, you know, he's imitating him and he's angry. Let me give you a little backstory on Laz Diaz. Laz Diaz was walking uh, in New York to his replay assignment in June, he suffered a heart attack, goes home, gets healthcare. Um, you know, he's in the hospital, um, recuperating, resting. Laz, the former Marine, I called him an ex-Marine once. He says, there's no ex-Marines. He's a former Marine. He's like, I'm getting back on the field. And, you know, the medical staff for Major League Baseball is great. They're like, hey, don't rush it. He's like, I won't, but when I'm ready, I'll come back because I got to get back on the field. It's what I do. So last, last you know, that, that was his first plate job back after recuperating from a heart attack, getting back on the field. And he's greeted by that, you know, maybe if some people knew um, that circumstance, um, you know, for example, I think uh, I was reading the other day, Clayton Kershaw has been hurt. He's going to come back and throw, I think Thursday. Yep. He may not be as sharp as the, uh, as he is um, when he's on a roll and healthy. That's right. Laz wasn't as sharp as as uh, he was in May and June before he suffered his heart attack. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks for letting me present that side of it. Maybe that'll give some guys some perspective. It's so funny because I think in our minds, we forget the humanness of things. Mm -hmm. We forget. Yeah. We just so back in 08, I started doing chapel work for the Atlanta Falcons. Mm -hmm. It changed me. It changed the way I'm a fan. It changed because I've sat in the the Bible study with them on Saturday night before the game on Sunday. Yeah. And I've seen them reading the newspaper to see, you know, things going on in the world, watching their college football team play, talking about their families who aren't there at the hotel with them. And you go, they're just kids. They're just yeah. kids who are really good at what they do. They're really big and they make a lot of money, but mm. they're kids. And I'm telling you, it, it is just, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Yeah. What would people not know about professional baseball players? They see them hit, they see them throw, they see them the run. What are things you learned as an umpire about these young men that put on these uniform with all these talents that the average person may not know about them? I think uh, the average person would look at a major league player and say, this guy's playing a game for a living. He's making literally millions of dollars to do it. Uh, you would think that this person would be the happiest person in the world. But there's not a whole lot of joy on a baseball field right now. And I think that's the difference between when I came up to do my first major league game in 1994 to now. I think the pressure, the performance pressure, uh, the, and when things become numbers-based, their value and their worth is locked in on numbers. Mm. Their batting average, their home runs, their war, their, you know, all this stuff. Um, and I'm not making light of the numbers thing, but I am saying I think it's driven these guys uh, to get outside of their identity because they're, they're operating out of, a, out of a belief that their value is put in numbers. And, um, and it's just simply not. And I think guys had a little more fun because they were freer 
before the emphasis on the numbers. Um, and I think they was, it became more about team and winning. And not to say that players are selfish. That's not what I'm saying. They want to win, obviously. But they put their value in their performance. Mm. And so, the, but you see the guys that are following Jesus, and they are like, my, my value is not in my performance or what I do here. My value is in uh, I'm valuable no matter what happens, no matter what my performance is. Mm. So you get the guys that are trying to make the team, you know, the kid that comes up yep. and he's doing his best. And then, you know, I've heard players say, you, you make it to the big leagues. Now you got to work like heck to stay here. That's right. So it becomes, they just work and they work and they work and they work. And then you get a, an older guy. Um, and you, you, the times I've seen guys who say, Hey, this is my last year. I'm going to retire. They are the freest. They are having the most fun. They want to win. They want to go out with a World Series trophy, right? But they also are like, I'm not going into a negotiation next year for my salary. And, and then you have the guys that sign these mega deals long term. You think, oh, they've got it made. But the pressure they have to perform oh. and try to justify that huge contract. So there's a whole lot of pain and suffering going on on a baseball field. And then when, when Jesus can come into the middle of that and free them up, and I've seen this happen with guys. It's it's a beautiful thing. He did it in my life. You know, it's he takes the pressure off of I'm not performing now for the players, the coaches, the managers, the fans. I want to do well. And, you know, as a man and as a, you know, a flesh, I want people to say, oh, he does a good job. But really walking off the field, I'm really working for an audience of one. Mm. And if he's pleased, it's like, I, I, I've got to find uh, my value and self-worth in that. And it, since the advent of social media, I mean, you get on Twitter, you get, and, you know, someone will send something that someone will say nice about me, and then you just have to read down a few comments, <laughs> and then it gets really nasty. And then it's usually like, Angel Hernandez is terrible, and Joe, wait, Angel's not even in the conversation. How do he get in this conversation? I mean, the way he gets beat up by the media and the fans is is crazy. But, um, you know, and we signed up for it. I'm not complaining. Uh, but I do know the only way that I kept my sanity is remembering that Jesus is really the only opinion that counts. <laughs> that is so good. And man, I think Ted, you're spot on, on the, the pressures, those, those kids is what they are. Those kids experience, right. But a yeah. good friend, he goes to my church. He was, he had a good career and then he ends up getting traded and then becomes the 25. So he'll come out, throw an inning and then get DFA. And then he's sitting in a hotel room, see who picks him up. And he ends up back in AAA. He's there, gets picked back up, dropped. And you're just like, and I'm, I'm seeing his spouse and you're just, it, it's hard. I mean, it's a, that is a hard life. When you think about your time, you, you walk to the field you put your hat on, you guys prep, you do your study, you get graded, which I think is so interesting, all the grading system you guys go through. When you walk on the field, who are people that you ran into? And there's probably way more than we can ever bring up. But who are three or four people, players and coaches, when you saw them, it made you smile? And why did it make you smile? What was it about their presence that you went, I just enjoy being around them. What would you say? 
Yeah, man. Yeah, like you said, so many. Um, but one name came came to mind was Tony Beasley, uh, you know, third base coach with the Rangers. And the base coaches are we're working first or third. They're the ones we had the most interaction with. And, you know, Tony, especially, you know, he came through some health things and he's relying on Jesus to bring him through. And he even told me, he's like, I'm going to be healed, whether it's here or, or in heaven. It's like you, you hear things like that on a baseball field. You're like, this is perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is the real thing. This is uh, this is why we're here. And being able to being an encourager like he was, because everybody wants to tear everybody else down. Right. Or um, if I can tear someone down, it'll elevate me. But then you start get people speaking truth and speaking, uh, you know, positive and, and, and it's really, it's game changing. Um, so yeah, Tony's a, a guy that would just, he would light me up. And so a lot of guys that I was in the minor leagues with, like I mentioned, Bruce Bochy was the manager of Spokane in 1989. So I would always, and then 2014, he wins the World Series with San Francisco. And there, we had this moment where I saw him in the tunnel after. I'm like, hey, this reminds me of 1989 when you won the championship in the Northwest League. And so there's that connection of longevity. Um, you know, other people that I had as players then become managers. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy like a Tim Salmon, uh, who I came in through the Northwest League, California League, Pacific Coast League, playing for the Angels. And uh, now I see him, you know, at a Bible study or, or a, you know, a church event. It's like there's that bond, you know, mm. and, he, and he did it the right way. Um, I tell young kids to watch a guy like a Paul Goldschmidt, um, just uh, someone that um, plays for Jesus, plays with a joy, but it's serious. And, he, and he's a guy that he's not outspoken um, so much. Uh, he's not the guy that's. Uh, you know, grabbing the microphone and giving his testimony, although he will do that. But just the way he plays the game, the way he treats people, the way he prepares, and he's excellent, right, winning an MVP. Uh, he's a guy that impresses me. Mm-hmm. Um, on, to a negative side, uh, the guys that will maybe say things one way and then act another, it's devastating. Yep. It's devastating because you know that they are – uh, it seems insincere, right? And so, so someone from the outside looking in says, man, I heard that guy give his testimony and now he's acting like that. And it really affects umpires because, man, I thought this guy was a Jesus dude, right? And he's, you hear what he called me? Yep. <laughs> and again, God gives me, reminds me, yeah, that was you once. So mm-hmm. I don't get too judgmental. But then to see the guys that do walk the walk and talk the talk, and it matches. It's like, yes. And there are, there are more of them. Uh, we can focus on being positive. So yeah, I could go on all day. Um, no, that's fan- That's fantastic. And it's so interesting because there's just such a human element to it. And you see it. If you go to a game, the umpires and players talking as they're walking out on the field and they're running on the film, there's a, there's a bond. There's a bond around a game that's developed, but your career prior to baseball you spent a lot of years in boxing. You spent a lot of years sparring with, with some of the greats, Tyson, Foreman, some of those guys. I, I'd love to know this, and I don't know if you've ever been asked this, but I was trying to find it to see if you had, but how did the world of boxing and you doing what you did as a sparring partner with so many of those guys, 
How did that prepare you to be a great umpire? What would you say? Well, you know, getting punched. uh, (laughs) I never got punched on the field, which is good. That's good. Uh, Hit by some foul balls. But, yeah, it's like after getting beat up by some of those guys, um, every every day after that is better. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) Yeah. But what it did also is it helped me, I think, with concentration, Mm -hmm. being in the ring and being able to focus and bring things down. So now I can stand in a stadium full of 60,000 people screaming in a World Series on every pitch, and I can focus. I can bring it down to this strike zone and this plate area. And um, I think that really helped my concentration in being able to lock in. Um, Helped me with people a little bit. It helped me, you know, I, I knew my role as a sparring partner. I was in there to prepare that guy to get ready for a fight. It wasn't about me. I wasn't the star. He was. Um, so I had to I had to play my role and do my thing. As an umpire, I walked out on the field. I wasn't the guy that fans came to see. This is not about me. Um, this is about the game. And I'm going to do my job to facilitate that, you know. Um, and it helped me, I think, keep perspective of what my role was. Uh, you know, I like to say my brother was an actor, so we would joke. It's like sometimes you got to wear the black hat. Mm. right but it's a job and sometimes uh you know in the in the theater of baseball i was the villain at times because uh you know i was standing up doing the right thing but it's not always the popular thing so yeah all kind of little uh analogies like that but i really think that the main thing to answer your question boxing helped me focus mm. uh right. especially in big situations you said and, now yo go sorry, ahead my, yeah, i just wanted to and, you know, most of the times I was a guy, especially later in my career, I love talking to, to players because I like, you know, getting to know guys and people would always ask, hey, what were you talking to this guy about or that guy about? And I, we're talking about boxing because hmm. a lot of, you know, baseball players love boxing. So they would ask me, hey, who's going to win this fight? Or did you see that fight? What'd you think about that? Joey Votto with the Reds is huge boxing fan. And so, you know, we walk, I'd be at second base and he's yelling across the, from <laughs> first and talking about boxing and, you know, we're yelling. And so that was, that usually dominated the conversations on the field. That is fantastic. That is funny. That is fantastic. (laughs) But it's a grind. That season is a grind. That is a long season. And to be able to get your mind off things for a little while is a good thing. As you sit now in this brand new season, so you, you cut the lights off on that career, but your, your story isn't over. What's next for what's next for Ted Barrett? What's next for you in this brand new season of life that you're in? Well, I've stayed in the baseball world. You know, I'm working for uh, UPI and Limited Potential Incorporated, and it's cool because uh, you know there are seven former players, um, and then and I'm the umpire, so I'm kind of the stepchild being added on here. But it's great because it's community. Yep. But also, as I go and I and I do chapel with the umpires and uh, living here in Arizona, I get out to the Diamondback games. But I run into to players and coaches and uh, Brian Hommel's the chaplain of the uh, Diamondbacks. And I'll tag along with him as he does the home and visitors. And so it's cool now that I have in this season, I have uh, developing uh, deeper friendships with mm-hmm. players because there was always um, the separation yep. of, you know, there was casual relationships with players. Um, but and then some of the ones that retired uh, became good friends with after they were off the field and, and out of coaching and out of uniform. But now that I'm off the field as well, I can develop some of the 
relationships with uh, with some of the guys. So it's cool seeing them and being able to talk a little bit more about life and in depth, or sitting down over a cup of coffee and um, and then just doing Bible studies. Uh, I was able to go to retreat last year and and um, hang with some players and do communion and um, so that that's a, a different season. But then also for me, it's the, it's the rhythm of slowing down instead of running for a plane constantly. And I'm just really thankful that God's allowed me to do this. And then, um, you know, my wife and I joke, it's coming up on 35 years of marriage. I I got married. We got married. I went to umpire school the next day. Wow. So it's almost like she jokes. Yeah. We've been married 34 years, but really it's 17 because we've been on the road half the time. So we're developing this rhythm of life together and, you know, as empty nesters and grandchildren. And so um, uh, I get out and teach some clinics for Major League Baseball. They're kind enough to bring me out once a month. And then I'll tie that in with visiting players and umpires. But, you know, I'm able to to make a little schedule. I've got six grandkids now and there's a birthday party. Those are birthday parties that I've missed uh, since they were born. And I'm able to say I'm not going to leave that day because I've got a a birthday party. And so just to sit there at this, you know, 10 year old birthday party and have a piece of birthday cake and watch it blow out the candles. These are things I've never got to do before. And it's just a gift from God. Or, you know, we did it in the hotel room while I was traveling. So, yep. yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. And I, I truly believe that, you know, God, God's story with you is just starting and mm. the, the influence you've had is going to continue for generations, you know, and I, I think about even Mickey, Mickey Mantle coming to know Christ in the ninth inning and him calling Bobby Richardson, who we talked about earlier. Well, Bobby and Mickey played together. Bobby retired in 66. And this is mm. now way after that. But those seeds that were planted just took a long time to come, but they came. And yeah. I just think of of the, the harvest of your life, Ted, mm. is, is you as you continue on to go, Oh my gosh, I never even remember that conversation in the hotel or that conversation standing at second base where I put my hand on a kid's shoulder and said, Hey man, I'll be praying for you. And, and that comes to fruition years later. So final question. And I'll let you know. The Bible says that David served his purpose in his generation. And then he fell asleep. Mm. What do you think was the purpose? God created Ted Barrett for. Why did he give the parents he gave you? Why did he give you the skill set and the past that he gave you? Why do what do you believe was the purpose that he knit you together? Unlike anybody else, but he knit you together to do. Wow, man, you, you think I'm humbled when you think about that because he did do that to all of us. And I feel like he strategically placed me in a spot that I could minister to, and, and and I could do it by umpiring. Think about this. I could glorify God just by umpiring a baseball game. Um, that wouldn't be like my plan, being an evangelist, right? because I get the, uh, you know, Billy Graham uh, stadiums full of people, uh, Greg Laurie at the Harvest Crusades out in California. To me, that's an evangelist. But Jesus is like, no, my evangelists are the guys that, wake up when the alarm clock goes off and go to work. So for me, it was a baseball field. And, and I'll just some encouragement. I, I There was no real way, I think, to kind of 
players will, you know, they'll come to batter, hit a home run and point to the sky. It's like, how can we as umpires glorify God? So when I became a crew chief and, and when it was good with all the guys on my crew, we would walk out before home plate, you know, we'd exchange lineups and, um, you know, the coaches and managers, whoever bought the lineup cards out would retreat to their dugouts. That time we have just for a second before the game started and we would just huddle up and pray. And, and I was apprehensive at first. I'm like, you know, I might get some pushback from this. And we didn't get on the microphone and we weren't praying out loud. It was just us as a crew, four of us. And, man, I got more positive feedback from that, from players, from fans. Um, and, you know, it's funny how reporters tried to stir it up, I think, at times. They're asking, what were you doing there? And I'm like, that's crew business, <laughs> right? It's crew business. And uh, so with that, Mike, I want to, I want to um, encourage people out there because um, you're working a job and I don't know where people work or what they're doing. Are they, you know, if they're playing ball, if they're working in an office, I mean, Jesus has strategically placed you there. Uh, and, you know, if, if I didn't do it, he'd have found somebody else. So it's not like, Oh, Ted, you got to do this, but I got to join in on what Jesus was doing. And as I look back at my career, the, the World Series are great. The times I got to be a crew chief, uh, you know, going to different countries and working, and that's all fantastic. But the conversations I had, uh, praying for guys on the field. I had Chris Bando pray for me once between innings on the field. I was like, we're all going to get fired. Um, but but it, what that did to my soul was, was amazing. And so all these little interactions, um, like you said, to think that, Someone may uh, have met Jesus and they'll be in eternity in heaven as a result of me or someone else umpiring a baseball game. Now, how cool is that to think about? You know, uh, so one of the, the things I dream about is being in heaven and someone coming up and going, man, I never met you, but I was at a game once and you were praying and that made me uh, want to know more about Jesus and, you know, and then Jesus saved them. And I mean, how cool is that? If you, The way you and I were connecting dots before the call, and now we're going to get to heaven and connect dots, and you're part of that? Oh, my gosh. That's what life is all about. So sorry about rambling, but, man, you got me fired up. What a special man. Now you get a taste of some of the people that walk on those fields. They're more than just the uniform they wear. There is a heart for Jesus that you just had no idea, did you? Thank you, Ted Barrett. It, it's so funny. I'm around baseball guys in, in, in my line of work, and the respect people have for this man is absolutely unbelievable. And I'll tell you this, I am better for my time with Ted Barrett. Thank you so much for your time and for making my life, Ted, a little bit better. My goodness, so, so good. If you've enjoyed this, I hope you have two things. One, subscribe. You don't want to miss an episode. Listen, we are rolling out brand new episodes all the time, and they're just getting better and better. And so the guests are just unbelievable, and they make my life so easy. And so if you enjoy this, subscribe, number one, on Spotify, iTunes, 
YouTube channels are a great way to, to uh, subscribe. Just look at Lynch with a Leader, and it'll take you right there. Second thing, leave a rating and review. That does help other people find their way to us. It doesn't take but a second to do that. And if you do it, other people can be benefited on their spiritual journey. Well, our lineup of amazing guests will continue again next week as we roll out another brand new episode next Monday with Elizabeth Dixon. Elizabeth spent years at Chick-fil-A helping guide their customer service experience, and now she's with Dan Cathy at Trillith. And we're going to talk about her brand new book coming out called Strength of Purpose, A Guide to Knowing and Living Your Reason for Being. It's going to be good. Elizabeth is so awesome. Can't wait to join you. So I don't know what you got in store today, but here's what I hope. I hope you love God. I hope you love some people. And I hope today that you will live sent. See you again next Monday. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.